0: Thank you so much for tuning in to this month's episode of the Hamden Library Podcast. I'm Michael Pieri. I'm usually joined by Associate Director and co-host, Alyssa Bessard, but this month we will temporarily hand the hosting reins to one of Hamden Public Library's newest hires, Ariana Davis.
1: Thank you so much, Michael, for that introduction. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I've been enjoying working as a library page and participating in creative projects such as the work behind this podcast, and I can't believe that it's been almost um, two years that I've been serving in this capacity, and it's truly been an honor. And really being behind behind the scenes of the library, so to speak, has helped me to appreciate the amazing work that librarians and library workers do for the community each and every day.
0: Yes, in your segment, we'll be focusing on one of America's hidden epidemics. To our audience, can you guess what that might be? Before we get started, here's what's coming up this month at the library. On December 6th, the Miller Library will have not one, but two children's grab-and-go bags available in the children's room. The first is a snow person, and the second is make a snow globe. You don't need to sign up to get one of these, but they are only available while supplies last. So don't wait if you think you'll be wanting one or both of those grab-and-go bags. On December 9th at 7 p.m., the library will host the last of its community conversations on Zoom. If you haven't heard about these, it's a great opportunity for you to talk about the community and about the library, and to make your voice heard. You can register for the community conversation via our website, hamdenlibrary.org. If you haven't had a chance yet to participate in one of these conversations, I hope you can do so because everybody's voice is important. Children ages 5 and up can decorate a gingerbread house in Thornton Wilder Hall. You do have to register for this program, which takes place on Monday, November 13th at 3.30 p.m. Lego Club is back at the Brundage Community Branch Library. At your own physically distant station, come and build with the library's Legos on Wednesday, December 15th from 6 to 7.15 p.m. For ages 4 to 12, registration is required. Then on Monday the 20th, Miller Library will have another double header of children's grab and go bags. This time it's reindeer and seasonal greeting cards. Finally, on Wednesday the 22nd from 6.30 to 7 p.m., there will be another pajama story time at Bruntage Community Library. Wear your pajamas if you wish and bring your favorite stuffed animal. I believe that message is meant for the kids, not for the adults registration required, recommended for ages 3 to 6, and a reminder that all adults and children ages 2 and up are still required to wear a mask while visiting the library, regardless of vaccination status. And that's what's going on at the library. And now, before we get back to Ariana, here's Mike Wheatley with another movie recommendation and a special note about the portrayal of diabetes in film.
2: What do Panic Room, 2002... Steel Magnolias, 1989, Reversal of Fortune, 1990, Nothing in Common, 1986, Con Air, 1997, Have in Common, Diabetes, and the problem of Hollywood films choosing drama over correct medical information. To quote Diabetes Health in a recent article, Hollywood's depiction of people with diabetes often have grown out of the need for a dramatic element. They use the examples of Panic Room, where Jodie Foster and her daughter with diabetes, played by Kristen Stewart, are trapped in a safe room in a house being robbed. The young character Sarah experiences an episode of low blood glucose hypoglycemia while trapped in the Panic Room with her mother. Without that element, obviously they could have stayed in there for days if they wanted to, so she had producer John Dorsey. Explains, to quote an informative Healthline Media's online newsletter's example, in the movie, the teen gets a shot for the low blood sugar, which people with diabetes may recognize as rescue glucagon. But of course, most people with no knowledge of this condition could easily assume it was insulin. Unfortunately, several film reviewers incorrectly referred to this life saving shot as an insulin injection. This obviously imparts the dangerous misperception that a person having low blood glucose level needs more insulin instead of sugar. Of course, the teenager recovers immediately after the injection rather than the several minutes it typically takes after using emergency glucagon. At one point, The writer even makes Sarah turn blue, which doesn't happen with hypos. At another point in the film, the teen gets anxious, and the mom cautions her to not get worked up, as it can lead to diabetes problems. There's no law saying we have to be right in every movie scene, the film's technical medical advisor, Donna Klein, said. Frankly, we deliver what the public wants. Klein claims she researched the appearance and behavior associated with low blood glucose and other aspects of diabetes. She even consulted textbooks and sought help from experts in diabetes care, finding in one manual on cardiopulmonary resuscitation that stated great emotional stress could lead to hypos. That's what led to the mom's scripted comment about her daughter getting worked up. Even more interesting is the producer of Panic Room has a daughter with type 1 diabetes, and still the script was far from technically accurate in many spots, although one could argue that it got the urgency of diabetes emergencies across. The point needs to be made that with the prevalence of medical shows on TV and movies and the use of illness as plot points, we assume that there are many times a difference between what the public wants and factual, useful information in media. My film recommendation this month, although not directly related to diabetes, is a fact-based story of a white surgeon and a black lab technician who together developed one of the first cardiac surgery techniques. In 1944, at Johns Hopkins They operated on a blue baby born with a heart defect. The film is something the Lord made from 2004. Moss deaf as Vivian Thomas and Alan Rickman as Dr. Alfred Blaylock. Having his savings wiped out by the Great Depression, Thomas's hopes to become a doctor are dashed, and he takes a job at Vanderbilt in Nashville as a janitor. Blaylock recognizes his skills and takes him on as a lab assistant. When Blaylock is called to John's Hopkins in Baltimore, he demands that Thomas come with him to be his assistant. There, Thomas's skills shine. I love this film because it not only shows the brilliance of the two lead actors and the characters they portray, but the pervasive evil of the racism they encounter. With a great supporting cast and high production values, this movie tells the true story of real-life pioneers.
1: Thank you so much, Michael, for that recommendation. One of the many things that I appreciate about the library is the platform that it provides, not only to inform, but also to inspire. In that same line of thought, we are focusing this month of November on National Diabetes Awareness Month. And this is a time that's dedicated to increasing public recognition, encouraging education, and dispelling misinformation about diabetes. According to the American Diabetes Association, National Diabetes Month was established in 1975, but didn't begin to receive more recognition until the early 1980s. World Diabetes Day was established by the International Diabetes Federation and the World Health Organization in 1991 and became an official United Nations Day in 2006. The date of November 14th was particularly chosen to honor Dr. Frederick Banting, who, along with Dr. Charles Best, co-discovered insulin back in 1921. Perhaps you, the listener, could reason, there are many diseases that exist in our world. Why does diabetes deserve its own month for awareness? Well, consider these statistics found in the CDC's latest National Diabetes Statistics Report. 34.2 million people have diabetes. That's 10.5% of the U.S. population. This number includes those who are diagnosed, 26.9 million people, as well as those who are undiagnosed, 7.3 million people, a little over 21%. Of diabetics are undiagnosed. In the United States, 88 million adults, that's more than one in three, have prediabetes, a precursor to type 2 diabetes, 34.5% of the adult U.S. population. The American Diabetes Association released new research in 2018 estimating the total costs of diagnosed diabetes to have risen to $327 billion in 2017 from $245 billion in 2012 when the cost was last examined. This figure represents a 26% increase over a five year period. I'm sure you would agree that these statistics truly speak for themselves. Diabetes is a serious health epidemic that has an enormous impact not only on individuals and families, but also on our society and economy. Even as more Americans are diagnosed with diabetes each year, there still seems to be a lot of confusion and misinformation about the disease. Perhaps during this podcast episode, you will learn something new or your understanding of what it is like to live with this chronic disease will deepen. Firstly, I would like to share some important definitions. Diabetes is a chronic disease that occurs when the pancreas is no longer able to make enough insulin, or any at all, or when the body cannot make good use of the insulin it produces. Why is insulin so important? Well, insulin is the key to unlocking the cells in our body, allowing glucose or sugar to move from our bloodstream into ourselves to be used as energy. Without this hormone, glucose builds up in the bloodstream, which can lead to long-term as well as life-threatening complications. There are mainly three types of diabetes, type 1, type 2, and gestational. Also, It would be remiss of me not to mention prediabetes, a condition where blood sugar levels are higher than normal but not high enough to be diagnosed as type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes, formerly known as juvenile diabetes, is an autoimmune condition and accounts for about 5% of all diagnosed cases of diabetes. The immune system mistakenly attacks the body, destroying cells in the pancreas that produce insulin. So to properly regulate blood sugar, type 1 diabetics are dependent on insulin therapy, which can be provided by means of regular injections or the use of an insulin pump. All type 1 diabetics must be on guard to prevent diabetic ketoacidosis, or DKA, a serious complication that can lead to coma and even death if left untreated. Type 2 diabetes is a condition where the body cannot properly use its own insulin or as the disease progresses, may not make enough insulin. It occurs most often in middle-aged and older people. However, it can develop at any age, and the number of children and young people being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes is on the rise. Family history, ethnic background, environment, weight, diet, and physical activity all play important roles in increasing or decreasing one's chances of developing this disease. Treatment options for type 2 diabetes can include taking prescription oral medications like metformin, insulin therapy, or a combination of different therapies if other treatments have been unsuccessful in keeping blood sugars within a healthy range. Gestational diabetes is a condition in which a woman who formerly did not have diabetes develops high blood sugar levels during pregnancy. It is important to note that all pregnant women have a measure of insulin resistance during the late stage of their pregnancy, but women who begin their pregnancy with an increased need for insulin are more likely to develop gestational diabetes. While many symptoms of type 1 and type 2 diabetes are similar, such as excessive thirst or hunger, frequent urination, blurred vision, irritability, and fatigue and exhaustion, most pregnant women with gestational diabetes don't present noticeable symptoms. If left untreated, this condition increases a mother's risk of having a stillbirth or giving birth to a baby that is premature, very large, and or has low blood sugar. Gestational diabetes usually goes away after a baby is born, but according to the CDC, about 50% of women with gestational diabetes Go on to develop type 2 diabetes. Additionally, her child is at a higher risk of being overweight and developing type 2 diabetes later in life. Diabetes increases the risk for medical complications and the development of other health problems, such as heart disease, stroke, kidney disease, diabetic neuropathy, eye issues, foot problems, and dental disease. Keeping blood sugar in a healthy range and lowering A1C a number that represents average blood sugar levels over a three-month period, can help prevent many diabetes-related complications. Diabetes has no known cure, but can be properly treated and well-managed, allowing many diabetics to lead long, healthy, and active lives. Research has shown that type 2 diabetes can be prevented or delayed, and prediabetes can be reversed, by improving one's overall health through various lifestyle changes. Both diabetics and pre-diabetics will benefit from losing excess weight or maintaining a healthy weight by eating a balanced diet and practicing a regular exercise regimen, managing stress and emotional triggers, improving the quality of their sleep, and following the advice of a medical professional team. Now, those are the medical terms. How can it feel? To live with such a diagnosis? Well, diabetes can be daunting. Feeling overwhelmed is not unfounded, especially after being newly diagnosed with diabetes. There is so much information circulating about different diets, approaches, and so called solutions. Where does one begin? Hampton Public Library has over 1,500 available materials on diabetes. Of course, these resources should supplement the advice and recommendations of a medical professional who can provide personal and specific guidance. Diabetes can be stressful. Managing diabetes is a complex balance of food intake, physical activity, and medicinal and or carefully calculated insulin administration to keep blood sugars within a healthy range. Each day brings its own unique struggles and dealing with this uncertainty can be very challenging. The demands of daily life can over time take a physical, mental, and emotional toll on a diabetic. Diabetes can be isolating. A diabetes diagnosis affects more than just the person, him or herself, but it can be a very lonely disease. A person with diabetes can feel unsupported and misunderstood if their family members do not understand what is involved in daily management, and do not encourage healthy behaviors. Working together to make lifestyle changes can improve the health of the entire family and help diabetics to better accept and cope with their diagnosis in the long term. Caring for diabetics of different types, ethnicities, backgrounds, and conditions is the expertise of Dr. Helen Anato, an internal medicine physician at Hartford HealthCare. Please listen in to our interview. Thank you so much, Dr. Anato, for taking the time out of your schedule to meet with me. The first question that I'd like to ask you is, what motivated you to pursue a career in medicine with a subspecialty in endocrinology?
3: Thank you so much for having me. Um, I got into medicine because I grew up watching my mother, um, who is a nurse, make a difference in the lives of many people. So I wanted to do the same, and I thought, you know, a career as a physician was a great way to contribute by quarter to um, healthcare. care. During my training, I developed a passion for physiology and biochemistry, which translated to my choice of endocrinology. This avails me the opportunity for continuous intellectual stimulation. It also has promising advancements in management of patients and long-term results-oriented patient care. So I think that's my driving force to, you know, sub-specialize in endocrinology.
1: Why are you particularly passionate about diabetes?
3: No, diabetes cuts across all ages, race, and sex. Um, it can also involve all the systems in the body. and my zeal for diabetes has continues to grow from my daily experience with patients. It is a chronic disease that can be controlled and its complications can be prevented. So it is very rewarding for me to be part of the care team that can assist patients to achieve excellent diabetes control using available resources.
1: Thank you so much for this important work that you're that you're doing in in diabetes care and endocrinology care. Um, my next question is, have you noticed any misconception or myths about diabetes, and are there any particular ones that you find to be the most concerning?
3: Yeah, um, thank you for this great question. I think um people who have diabetes um or people without, you know, that have loved ones, that have diabetes, some have, um, we've seen a lot of misconceptions about that sometimes. They say if you have diabetes, you must go on insulin or lose the limb or go blind but the fact is if you have diabetes type 1 yes you may need insulin due to the deficiency from the pancreas you know it's not producing enough insulin so you will you may need insulin most of the time they do but people with type 2 have insulin resistance their body produces insulin so it is, there are many oral pills now that we can use for diabetes management without necessarily going on insulin. And no, you do not need to lose a limb or go blind because you have diabetes, especially if it's well controlled. And that is where we providers um, come in to make sure that your diabetes is well controlled. The other misconception I've heard too is um, if you have diabetes, you can't live an active life, which is false because, in fact, exercise is one of those things we encourage our patients to do because if you exercise, the, the glucose gets taken up by the muscles without relying on insulin, and this helps to decrease the amount of glucose in your body and control your diabetes. Then another important thing I've noticed is that some will say, you know, you don't have to test your blood glucose. You would know when you have symptoms of high or low blood glucose. Um, that's another misconception because you can rely on your symptoms all the time for blood glucose. Some people don't even know when they have lows because their body has grown fatigued from having so many lows and highs and variable blood glucose. So I say it's the best thing is to check your sugar so that in real time you know what's going on. Plus, you may have some symptoms of other ailments that are going on, and that can make you not know whether you're really high or low. So that's why it's important to test blood glucose readings.
1: Thank you so much for clarifying those misconceptions. Can you please explain to our listeners what diabetes denial and distress are, as well as how they relate to
3: the mental health of diabetics? Great question, Ariana. So diabetes distress is when someone is overwhelmed or frustrated about the disease. Um, It can happen intermittently. You know, there are some bad days and good days, But when it becomes progressive or persistent, it's when we're really concerned because it can lead to depression or mental breakdown. So usually at this point, or before even gets there, if you know it's becoming more persistent, it's not you're having more mood swings and you're having more. Uh, frustration or you're overwhelmed, that's the time you need to be talking to your provider um, and they're there to help you, there are support groups to help you and if you need to talk to a therapist you need a psychiatrist or someone to take care of your mental health that can also be um, you know, referrals can be done and we can get you the support and help you need at that point but yes, it's a real thing that can happen to people living with diabetes
1: yeah. What advice would you give to to caregivers, either to parents of diabetic children or people whose significant other has diabetes?
3: So having loved ones with diabetes can be very challenging, but we can help in many forms. You know, Um, one of the ways we can help them is by being positive. We shouldn't be judgmental. We should avoid nagging. Um, we should encourage buying or preparing healthy meals for them. Um, we should also offer to make and attend appointments with our loved ones who have diabetes because that's a huge help. Sometimes life comes in the way where they're busy doing other things, they don't remember to make up for their appointments. So helping with that also helps. The other thing we can help with is by being observant and help with treatment of low or high blood glucose when it happens, Um, reminding them to test their sugar, to take insulin or take their oral medications as needed. And the other thing we can also do is we can plan to exercise with them. We can have like a scheduled exercise uh, routine and um, they can be, you know, we can decide to take a walk together, to take a run together, make sure the sh- sugar level is good enough before we do those exercises. Um, and very importantly, always remind and show them that you are in this together and you care with a plan to succeed and get the diabetes well controlled.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Anito, for explaining how important familial support is to the health and well-being of a diabetic. My next question is, in your professional opinion, what advancements in technology have been the most groundbreaking in the treatment and or management of diabetes,
3: and why? Yeah, great question. Um, In my opinion, I think the revolutionary advancement in diabetes management is the development of the continuous glucose monitoring device. It's such an awesome thing um, to be able to know what your blood glucose is in real time time without having to prick your fingers. So we have two major types. The the one you can put on your arm, the Freestyle Libre Sensor or the Descombe that you put on, usually on the belly. And what they do is they check the um, interstitial fluid and actually measure your blood glucose that way every five minutes. Um, So you really don't have to prick your fingers all the time. Sometimes you have to check to make sure it's correct. I mean, it's not 100% correct, but it helps us to know when we're going low or when we're too high, and then we can make interventions at that time. The other beautiful things with this, um, we call them CGM, that's the got continuous glucose monitoring devices, is that they they are now connected to insulin pumps. So they can predict if you're going low and the insulin pump will get disconnected at that time and stop giving you insulin. Or if we notice that you're going too high and you're doing your own thing, you you know you're busy at work, it will just give you a tiny, small bolus to bring your blood glucose down. So that's you know a big advancement in technology and in the management of diabetes. That. You know, gives us some free time so we're not just focused on managing our diabetes and it's something is doing it for us at the background. So that's, you know, that's a big one um, advancement for us.
1: Thank, thank you for, for explaining that um, how these advancements can definitely help um, diabetics to um, have that sense of normalcy in their life and not dedicate too much time to their management. Um, which that can take away from, um, from other act- day-to-day activities. What role does our society play in diabetes education or miseducation? And what do you think can and should be done to reduce the stigma surrounding the
3: disease? Wow, nice question. So the community can organize outreach programs that, that focus on reducing risk factors by improving the diet, promoting physical exercise, and weight management. We can also, you know, do more by calling Congress or writing to the House of Representatives or by even signing petitions that would ensure the affordability and availability of diabetes medication and devices for patient care. Because sometimes it's difficult to get all the medications that um, some of our patients need, not because uh, one is cost is usually a big issue and sometimes insurance will cover some, sometimes they don't. So actually advocating for um, diabetes care would definitely help. Another thing we can help with is by um, setting up support group and we could also use social media to guide and educate the general public about diabetes. Um, so those are things we can work on that would help and in terms of stigmatization we can reduce that when we look out for each other uh, we should speak up when we um, see a, a defaming or statement we avoid blames or offensive words uh, and, and in all just we have to be positive and offer encouragement to one another And also sometimes just opening up a conversation and sharing um, personal experiences can inspire and educate people living with diabetes.
1: My last question is, what would you encourage the general public to do, especially during this special month dedicated to diabetes awareness?
3: You know, November is a national diabetes month recognized since, you know, the 1980s, actually. It is a time devoted Communities around the country to team up and bring attention to diabetes. We can participate or organize walks or bicycle rides to create awareness about diabetes by taking the big um, the the step up, you know, by you know exercising and doing something in the name of diabetes. This year's theme is pre diabetes, which is found in one out of every three or five um, individuals who do not even know they have um, pre-diabetes or heading towards diabetes. And actually taking a risk test, it's found on American Diabetes Association website. To know where you stand is a good way to actually um, encourage general public to know to have that awareness of where they stand in terms of prediabetes or diabetes. Another way we could help is by organizing fundraising or joining the American Diabetes Association and donating to the fight against diabetes. And I will also say um, we can obtain resources on how to lighten um, our load or improve the mental health of either people living with diabetes or for loved ones that have diabetes. So, the way we could do that is, you know, if we go to the website, we could get resources, even just um, on social media or talking to the providers, they can give us the best resources to help. And if you also go on the website, you could find things about what to do when your insurance does not cover some of your medication. And also, there are a lot of other support groups you could find on the american diabetes association website and there are other websites too that promote um, and have resources that fight against diabetes finally i'll say taking time this month or as frequently as we can to um, get more knowledge about diabetes because as the saying goes knowledge is power that can definitely help us to team up to control this epidemic and improve the lives of 34 million Americans and 88 million Americans with, um, diabetes. So, in summary, I would say, um, diabetes in general can, you know, we are here to support, um, people living with diabetes or if you have loved one with diabetes and that can be definitely controlled and People don't have need to have complications from diabetes if it's well controlled, and that's what we're here for. Using the resources available to you and um, going to your providers when necessary, um, and using the support group would definitely help. Um, thank, thank you for having me on this. Um, episode and couple of podcasts, and I appreciate your time.
1: And thank you so much, Dr. Nato, and we appreciate your time and all of your answers to our questions. Thank you so much.
3: You're very welcome.
1: In conclusion, we have taken a primarily objective look at this hidden epidemic. This information is very important, but doesn't depict the subjective point of view, the personal stories behind each person who is living with diabetes, and no two experiences are identical. We may be aware of a family member, friend, or coworker who has diabetes, but likely many of our interactions are with diabetics that we may not even know of, the delicate fabric of our existence, interwoven with the lives of those who are daily dealing with this chronic illness. Are you or someone you know impacted by diabetes? Please remember that you are never alone. As an insulin-dependent type 1 diabetic myself, working on this episode has been a cathartic experience, and I hope that other persons living with diabetes feel supported knowing that others are experiencing something similar, and they are encouraged to share their own story. Diabetes is not a weakness, it's not a dead end, it's a part of you, but does not define you. Thank you for your attention, and I hope that you had a positive listening experience.
0: Thanks to Ariana for doing such an amazing job with this episode. Yeah, and to Dr. Renato for agreeing to be interviewed. I learned a lot from this episode. How about you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I have several family members that have diabetes, so this one definitely hit home for me. Anyway, um, I hear you've got something special in the works for next month's podcast. I do. December is a month of many holidays and end-of-the-year celebrations, and we know some people get busy, maybe too busy, to listen to our very awesome and very detailed podcast. So I thought instead of doing a main focus, we could have a nice cozy episode filled with lots of movie or book or other recommendations. Well, that sounds fun. All that, plus the return of our book recommendations, Mike Wheatley's movie recommendations, and more. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you're feeling very generous, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. See you next month.